Hey, good morning. One small correction. There is youth group tonight, and it will be, they're going to meet here, they're going to go over to J.P. Lick's free ice cream. Whoever says there's nothing for free, absolutely come to Calvary Chapel in the city, and between the ages of 13 and 17, free ice cream at J.P. Lick's. That's where they're going going to have their Bible study tonight, so youth group this evening. So we are going through Luke, and we have made our way to Luke chapter 7. We were actually eight Sundays in chapter 6. It won't be that many Sundays in Luke chapter 7. But here we are, Luke chapter 7. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. You can please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. And please rise for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 Chapter 7, verse 1, says this, Now when he, Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum is in the northern part of Israel. And a certain centurion's servant, a centurion was a Roman commander, A certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue." Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned into the house, found the servant well who had been sick. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, every bit of it. And Lord, there's a world of truth that is here for us this morning that you want deeply embedded in our lives. We pray by the Holy Spirit you would do that very thing this morning. Embed it in our lives. So it becomes a part of us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8, it says this about the Lord. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It says, the Lord lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set him among princes. 
That's what the Lord does. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap and sets him, sets her among princes. Now in Boston, we're familiar with beggars. It's a part of being in the city. Many of us have known beggars over the years. Not all the times, but many times. Particularly in our age now where most of the people begging, they have a serious alcohol or drug addiction. A beggar finds himself in an ash heap or on top of it. And he or she has actually made that ash heap of his own life because of sin, because of a self-destructive life, because of a life lived in disregard to God and everyone else, he or she finds himself in an ash heap. Anything and everything that was once good in the life of the man or woman has been destroyed, it's been consumed, it's been burned up, and now he or she is a beggar on top of an ash heap, completely helpless, completely incapable of getting out of the mess he or she created for himself, all he can do, all she can do is beg. First Samuel 2 verse 8 says, God lifts the beggar from the ash heap and sets him among princes. And that's not just theological gobbledygook. It's the word of God. When I read a verse like this, God lifts the beggar from the ash heap and sets him among princes, there's one person, really just one, that usually comes to my mind. Me. At the time that the Lord saved me, I was in my early 20s and I was a beggar on an ash heap, although I look reasonably okay on the outside. On the inside, I was not. I was becoming very much, much of a mess emotionally and mentally in my family history, actually, for generations. There's a long history of mental illness. It still afflicts some of my relatives today, to this day. In my early 20s, I began to realize my mind was getting all twisted up. It was, I was going south mentally and emotionally, and I was getting to the place that I was truly an emotional beggar. That's what I was becoming. I was just, you know, typical of mental illness. I was one of those people who were sort of addicted to codependent relationships ever since I was 16 or 17, for example. I just, I was one of those people, I had to have a girlfriend. The problem was I was, every time I was in one, it was like a microcosm of a world war. 
and 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 I, I I couldn't last more than a couple months, and I I just got through went through one relationship after another in college. It just came like the butt of jokes, you know. That you know, look at Steve, and 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 all this was accompanied by a pornography and a sexual addiction that I was absolutely mired and tangled up in. And it was, which is really, it was a coping mechanism. That's what addictions are to get through life. It's a sort of short-term thing to get to the next day. I had become an emotional beggar. And God took me a beggar from the ash heap. And he set me among princes. I've been married for 24 years to a woman I'm madly in love with. He has... I'm with a... Uh, a family that I adore. He's placed me with them. He's placed me amongst friends who rejoice when I rejoice. And they weep when I weep. He's placed me in a ministry that that he has touched and blessed. And sometimes I think about my life. God has been so good to me. I just want to bless the Lord. I just want to bless him. What can I do to bless the Lord? Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Well, how do I do that? How does someone go about blessing the Lord? I thought he's the one that blesses. No. The Bible says, bless the Lord. Psalm 104 begins the same way. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. But how do I do that? Well, the answer is in Luke chapter 7. If you really want to bless the Lord, well, then really, really eat up this chapter. A Roman commander, a centurion, he's a commander of a hundred Roman soldiers, had a servant who was sick and ready to die. In the book of Matthew, the same story is told. It says that the sick, the servant was dreadfully in torment by the sickness. Uh, we also actually learn from Matt, Matthew an interesting thing. The Greek word used there is for a servant that was just a child. This is just a slave, a, a slave girl, a slave boy. This is a young kid that had become like a child to this Roman commander. And life is tough. Life is brutal. Life is cruel out there. And this, this child had given him joy when he came home every night. This small girl, this small boy. And, and so he, he's, it, 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 the child's on the verge of death. The Roman commander sends to Jesus, pleading with him to come for help. It, Jesus agrees. He sets out to help him. And... Uh, when he's nearing Jesus' house, the centurion sends friends to him. Verse 6 of Luke 7 says, Lord, uh, the middle of the verse, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority. Having soldiers under me, I say to the one, go, he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And then it says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Now that word, marvel, it's a Greek word, the mouzo, the mouzo. The word is used 
really in just in two ways in the Bible. It's either used to describe someone who's exceedingly joyful or it's used to describe someone who's exceedingly indignant and exceedingly disappointed. And sometimes there's also the sense of, of shock or amazing. The word is used over 30 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's almost always used to describe the reaction that people have to one of Jesus' miracles, almost, the whole, almost every time you see it. Jesus uh, performs a miracle. For example, in Matthew chapter 9, when G Jesus heals the paralyzed man, we read that earlier in Luke, it says, you know, the, 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 the four friends brought their friend. They broke through the roof. It was so crowded. They put the paralyzed man in front of Jesus. Jesus touches him, heals him. The man begins to walk. The people, it says, marveled and praised God, meaning uh, exceedingly great joy, spontaneous, exceedingly great joy. That's what the word marvel means. Or it can mean exceedingly great disappointment. So it's used about 30 times, almost every time, to describe the reaction of, of, of people to Jesus' miracles. But listen, the word is used twice, only twice, to describe Jesus. Once here in Luke chapter 7, when he is exceedingly joyful over, over what? A man's faith. And then one other time when he's exceedingly disappointed over what? Anyone know? The lack of faith. Mark chapter 6. Now let that sink in. We see a lot of emotions in, in Jesus' life. Actually, he's called a man of sorrows. And you can only imagine being God, the Son of God, walking around in the world. You can understand that. Why he's a man of sorrows. Rarely do you see him marveling with exceedingly great joy. There's a, there are a few times. But this word marvel, used once in a positive light to describe a faith in a, in a person that he saw, in a man he saw. It's used once to describe how disappointed he was in, in the lack of faith. So listen, I know there are others here this morning. God has been so good to you, you were a beggar on, a on an ash heap. That is what you were. And he lifted you off the ash heap and he placed you, set you, set you, I like that word set, just establish you among princes. I know there are some of you here this morning like that and you want, you just want to bless the heart of God. How do you do that? You know, the first thing we think is, oh, I need to be, you know, I, I, I got I, I to make sure I'm not on drugs. I, get, not, I, not, I don't get drunk. I am sexually pure. Those things are good. But what makes God exceedingly joyful? It simply comes to him by observing faith. Listen, he is so blessed by faith that he goes out and he looks for it. Verse 9 says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Jesus goes out and he seeks it so that he may find it. That's how much he is blessed by faith. He wants to find it. 
He wants to find faith in you. I love this verse in Luke chapter 18, verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He's describing his second coming. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It blesses him so much he looks for it to find it. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he? Will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith in your life? Will he find you living by faith? Is there active living Faith, the faith that is described in the Bible, in your life. Are you exercising it? Will he find faith if he came this morning in this room? Proverbs 26 says this, many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful, a faith-filled man who can find? God is saying, I look for faith, but where do I find it? And then, of course, in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we can get the purity thing down, we can get the morality thing down, we can have self-control, we can have, we can do good works, we can be in ministry, we can know the gospel, we can know the word of God, but if it's not accompanied by faith, it does not please God. It says it's impossible to please God. So when Jesus saw the faith of this centurion, he marveled and said, I have say to you, I have, found, I have not found such faith. Not even in Israel. So now you say, well, Pastor Steve, okay, talking about faith. You're talking about faith. I have faith. I have faith when I sit down, sat down in the chair, this chair this morning, that it was going to hold me up. I have faith this morning when I ate the breakfast that my wife cooked me, that I wouldn't keel over. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I even have faith in God that he exists. What do you mean by faith? What kind of faith are you talking about? Those are the questions that you should be asking if you want to bless the heart of God. Can you imagine we have the privilege of making the heart of God exceedingly joyful, marvel? Yes, we should be asking those questions. They're all answered in Luke chapter 7 here in these, in these first uh, 10 or 11 verses in this story about this centurion. Let's take a look here at this story. There's a particular kind of faith that makes your Lord exceedingly joyful. And if you're taking notes, there are at least three things that, which describe uh, this faith. Number one, the faith that pleases God brings the issues of life directly to Jesus. Sounds simple? Maybe? Then why don't we do it? <laughs> when we think of faith, a lot of times when we think of faith, men of faith, women of faith, we think of someone like going into the Amazon and planting a church 
or we think of, uh, you know, someone who is uh, going and smuggling Bibles in somewhere, or someone going to downtown crossing with a, you know, sandwich board uh, around them with the gospel. And by the way, I love those guys, but that's, that's why we, what we think of when we think of faith. But was that the kind of faith that made Jesus exceedingly joyful over uh, in Luke chapter 7? Not at all. The faith that made Jesus exceedingly joyful in Luke chapter 7 uh, w- was simply a man who came to Jesus for healing and not even healing of himself, healing of a servant girl or a servant boy. So listen, don't miss this. The only time the word marvel is used to describe Jesus looking at something in a positive light is when he sees the faith of a man who comes to him asking him to heal his slave girl. His servant. That's the one time he marvels in a, in a positive way. And, and, you know, we get this. We, we so hyper-spiritualize the Christian life. I had a brother recently ask me a question, and it was a very good one. Uh, in order to thrive and be great in God's economy, do I have to be sharing the gospel all the time, going out on the missions trips and spending all the time and, uh, you know, full on in ministry at the church? Absolutely not. That's not, that, that's a pie, uh, that, that's a, 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 a fabrication, a, a religious fabrication that has been manufactured over the years. Uh, Look at what Jesus said about this centurion. I have not found such faith in Israel. What did Israel have? This Roman commander was not an Israelite. He was a non-Jew, meaning this man had not yet been attending church even. He did not yet have a thorough understanding of the Bible. He he had not yet been ministering in a local church. Of Of course, all those things, vitally important in your relationship with God, but none of them are going to be what exceedingly abundantly blesses the heart of God. What exceedingly abundantly blesses the heart of the Lord is when you simply take the issues of life directly to him. The issues of life, when your computer is freaking out, your first response, it's the Lord. You're lost on the streets of Boston. Your first response is the Lord. You realize you have money to, to, no money to pay a bill you owe. Your first response is the Lord. You're out on the street. Someone starts yelling at you for no apparent reason. Your, your response is the Lord. You can't make your husband happy. Your first response is the Lord. You, your kids are causing you distress. Your first response is the Lord. Your coworkers walking all over you. Your first response is the Lord. You get sick. Your first response is the Lord. In the Old Testament, when the greatest kings in the Old Testament, King Asa, got sick, the Bible says the Lord became angry. Why? Because he first went to a series of doctors. His first response wasn't the Lord. Let's go to, again to Hebrews 11, verse 6, the whole verse. Definitely a verse everyone should have etched into your mind, into your heart without faith. It is impossible to please God because 
Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That word earnestly means you, you, you really do. You want to bring God into your life, into the issues of life. Another translation says diligently seek him. You're diligently bringing him in to the stuff of life. So now, though, if I stopped right there, that faith that ca- the faith that causes God to be exceedingly joyful is the faith that simply brings the issues of life to God. If I stopped right there, I'd get, a f- I'd get an F as a teacher of God's word. Because if that's all your faith is made up of, bringing the issues of life to God, well, then nothing distinguishes you from but basically every other superstitious religious person in the world, that's what they do. There's nothing better to do. They just bring their issues uh, to, to God. Together, with, you know, at the same time, lighting a candle or doing whatever to try to get their problem to go away. The faith that causes God to marvel is, yes, it's a faith which you're simply bringing the issues of life to God, which is no small thing if you catalog everything that happened, even this morning, and how many different directions you went before you went to God, before with that issue. That's not a small thing. But number two, the faith that pleases God understands that he alone has all authority over the issues of life. The Roman centurion said this in verse 8, for I, actually back up in verse 7, he said, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I uh, I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, And I say to one, go, and he goes, and then another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Just say the word, and he will be healed. You know, last week, we had Nathaniel Jensen here, a Harvard PhD in biology, who, among other things, goes all around the United States and even travels around the world to to, uh, educate people on the enormous body of scientific evidence, hard science, that establishes that when God spoke on the first day of creation, let there be light, and when he spoke on the second day of creation, let the waters below the earth be divided from the waters above, and when on the third day he spoke, let the dry land appear and let the earth bring forth grass and herbs and fruit trees, and when he spoke on the fourth day, let there be lights in the, in the sky and the sun and the moon, and on the fifth day, let there be sea creatures in the water and birds in the air, and on the sixth day, let there be living creatures on earth and let, there be, uh, let man be made in our image. It happened. It really did. He spoke the word and it happened. It was not an evolutionary process that took, took place over tens of millions of years. He had authority over creation and it happened. Listen, there's a reason we take all this trouble to bring him here. We, we pay him money to have him here. He, he comes out. He, we put him up in a hotel. We advertise in the paper. I even put a suit and tie on last Sunday night to introduce him. I hate suits and ties. 
Well, why would I ever do something like that? Well, there's only one reason. There can hardly be a more important subject than this one, that God has absolute authority over everything in creation. And you can't carve out the first two chapters of Genesis. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Jesus marveled. God has absolute authority over everything. Over your sickness, every organ, every molecule, every atom in your body. He has absolute authority over your financial situation, over every person who owes you money, over your boss who can give you a pay raise, over other companies who can hire you into a new job, over friends, family, strangers who, who just with a simple word, the Lord can, you know, drop a check in the mail to you. He's got absolute authority over everything. Not one molecule is outside of his complete control. I've told the story before about um, Steffi and I had been married only about a year, and we went down to uh, Venezuela, which was a place I lived on and off growing up. I was born around here, but lived in a number of places around the world. And um, so I was taking her back, and I went down to the to the uh, Andes region. The very beginning of the Andes region in the north is in Venezuela. And uh, I took her. You know, she grew up in a nice suburb, comfortable suburb outside of Miami. But um, I took her on a four-hour mule trek over the Andes Mountains. And we got off these cable cars. Uh, It's the highest cable car in the world, I believe. And at the third station, there's these little kids that uh, will take you on their mule. And so got my bride on a mule. And, you know, we're we're trekking through the mountains. And I'm not telling you. I mean, you guys have heard my stories. I'm, like, into doing, like, crazy dangerous things. But I'm telling you, that mule takes one bad step. And it's a thousand feet down. I mean, it was just crazy. I I I could not look to the side. <laughs> and 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 uh, yeah, I remember asking the kid to have 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 any of these has this has um, any of these mules like ever taken a tumble? And he said, "Well, not this one." <laughs> well, you know that really gives me a lot of uh, confidence here. Um, but in any event, uh, I had just finished my summer job, and it, it was my first sort of real uh, job out there, and I, 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 I wound up with um, more, uh, just kind of, for what for me, what at the time was like a boatload of money, and I, I had, was walking strong with the Lord for about two years, and I was like, we want to give a big chunk of this to the Lord, and as I was coming down, uh, coming down, we went through these chains, and we were supposed to go out to this little tiny village. And, and as I was coming down the village, I was like, you know, I would love to just find someone uh, where who who has some kind of just medical condition or handicap, and these are actually, this is actually going through my mind, where I can just give this money to. It's obviously, it's a very poor place, and, you know, you get in these villages in, in, in developing countries, and people just, they have handicaps. And I'm thinking like this all the way down the mountain, and I get inside this uh, woman's home where we spent the night, 
and we're having dinner, and I, and my head bumps something in back of me, and I look around, and there's a cup with a sign over it, and says, "My child has a handicap; she needs surgery. Please, can we have the money?" As it turns, can, can, can you give us a donation? And as it turns out, this child, this young girl, she was about five. A uh, young girl herself, she was about five years old. All her fingers were were born just together, like this, not separate, and they had to be separated. And and and. As I think about that, God has complete authority. He has authority over those mules, over deciding what trip to take to this remote place in the middle of nowhere. He, 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 he has controls over just random strangers in your life who may pop by and give you money in a financial situation. He's got authority over all of that. And, and, and we need to, to, to recognize that. He has authorities of the, uh, over your relationships, absolute authority over them, over every single person that you come across every single day, including the one that may be yelling at you for no reason. He has authority over your professors, your bosses, your coworkers. He has authority over the inner workings of the brain of every human being on the face of the earth. Earth, he made the brain. Your brain is not the product of an evolutionary process of thousands of random and chance mutations taking place over millions of years. Your brain is the product of an incredible design brought about by the finger of Almighty God. And he made every brain of every human being on the face of this earth. He has authority over what happens in that brain, not to mention every uh, blood vessel that runs through it, every chemical, every hormone. God alone has absolute authority over everything. Say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. The faith that pleases God, number one, takes the issues of life to him. The faith that pleases God uh, understands that God alone has authority. But the third thing is this. The faith that pleases God cries out to him. The faith that Jesus, that, that pleases God, that, that makes him exceedingly abundantly rejoice, cries out to him. Let's look at our centurion. It's all in these 10 or 11 verses. Now, this guy was an important man. He was an important man. And, you know, sometimes we're just too full of ourselves to cry out to God. We have too much pride. We have shame. And, and you know, we go, uh, we go, you know, well, what would people think if I cried out to God? I prefer to ask him sort of, you know, matter-of-factly, hey, you know, God, uh, is, uh, the servant of my friend is, is, uh, is, is at the point of death. Is there something you can do about it, God, you know? He publicly cried out to God. It says in verse 3, he, they, they went pleading with him, pleading with him. Same thing in Matthew. He pleaded to the Lord. He cried out to him. Psalm 40 says, I was in the muck and the mire, and I cried out to God. Are you too ashamed to cry out to the Lord, even if it means publicly. Are you too ashamed to do that? If so, 
You do not have a faith that can bless the heart of the Lord. I want to take you a little to the left, Matthew chapter 15, to see one more illustration um, of it. Amazingly, another non-Jew. And, and, and the fact that these are recorded of these, when Jesus, here, he, he doesn't, doesn't say he marveled, but he's clearly, we'll see, he's clearly really happy with, this, with what he sees. And, and he's making a point, the Holy Spirit's making a point by, uh, by bringing up these examples in Scripture we got to get it out of our head to just going to church every week, praying at certain times, doing our Bible study every day. Uh, look, we can't lose the heart and soul of what God really wants from us. All that, all those things, at the very heart, there needs to be a heart of genuine faith. In verse uh, 21, it says, then when Jesus went out from there, meaning he left the, the, the Israel, the place where the Jews lived, and he departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So where a bunch of uh, where non-Jews lived in that area. In verse 22, it says, and behold, a woman of Canaan came fr- uh, from that region and cried out to him. Same thing. She cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. As an aside, he also has authority over the demonic and spiritual realm. Absolute authority. Verse 23, but he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. She's just, oh, could you do something with this woman? Gives you a picture into what Jesus' life was. It's probably happening all the time. But the Holy Spirit records this time. Verse 24, but he answered and said to her, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Jesus first coming, it was initially to the Jews. And he told the Jews, because you're going to reject me, I'm going to go to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. But, uh, so this is what he says to her. You're not a Jew, and I was not exe- sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. So she worshipped him, and she's unashamedly, she's crying out. But he answered, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, that word for little dogs actually means puppy. It's not the word for dog. It's the word for puppy, little dog. And non-Jews were called dogs. And, and people say, well, how could Jesus, this isn't my Jesus, how could Jesus do something like this? He was drawing faith out of her. We'll see. So he says this to her. He, doesn't, he says, and she, it says, verse 27, and she said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus also says that if you have shame before me, I will, have, I will be ashamed of you before your Father in heaven. It's not talking about salvation, whether you're saved there. It's just talking about your prayer life, your relationship with him by faith. Are you too ashamed to cry out to the God, God to, let, to, to let everybody know, family, friends, everyone, that, that, look, I put my faith in the Lord, 
that's who I go to in a time of distress or even a time of a small issue of life. I go to the Lord. The faith that pleases God, number one. Let's just put all three of them up at the same time here. Brings the issues of life directly to Jesus. Understand that he alone has all authority over the issues of life. And number three, cries out to him. So let me close with this. Jesus Christ has all authority over all the issues of life. But guess what? Here's the good news. He also has authority over death. Let's just continue. In Luke, in Luke chapter 7. It says in verse 11, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of the disciples went with him in a, in a large crowd with a large crowd. And when he had come near the the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So widow with an only son. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So note that. In verse 11, it says, a large crowd was accompanying Jesus, filled with life, filled with joy, filled just with the excitement of being around the Messiah, the Son of God, a large crowd. But in verse 12, a large crowd, a funeral procession uh, is coming, accompanying a dead man. And man, if this is not a picture of the world, I don't know what is. You know, life and death. There's, there's a world of death out there. There's a population, a community of death, and there's a community of life out there. Which one are you in? Which community are you a part of? And so you have this clash here. Verse 13, when the, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. Jesus not only has authority, over all the issues of life. He's got authority over death. He's got authority over death. Now we're going to close this morning. Are we closing with communion? That's what I thought. So there, I was looking for the tables. We're, looking, we're closing with communion uh, this morning if, if the worship team could come up. And, you know, as we're as we're thinking about communion, taking of the cup and eating of the bread, it's all about the issue of Jesus having authority over life and death because the Bible says that Jesus was faithful. Jesus, the Son of God, was faithful to go to the cross because he was faithful to have those nails be driven through his wrists, driven through his feet, 
because he was faithful to do that, because the, he was faithful to, to for, for, you know, to have the blood poured out, you and I can have life. Death does not have to reign over us. Jesus said in John chapter 8, those who believe in me, those who give their heart to me, they pass from death to life. What community are you a part of this morning? Are you part of the community of death? The world is filled with death. The book of James says that sin works death in a life, in a life of a human being, into every part of that human, human man or woman's life. It works death into their relationships. It works death into their finances, into their jobs, into their health, everything. It works death. That's what sin does. But Jesus came. He took all our sin upon him. And he was faithful to die, die for our sin. So that, so that if, and, that, and then he was resurrected. He was resurrected on the third day he, to give us new life. And the Bible says, if we take that life by faith, Jesus, I take your life. He offers it to it. I take it. And we put it on ourselves. The Bible says we're cloaked with his righteousness. And then when we appear before God, God doesn't see us with all our sin, all our misery, the ash heap that we've created for our own, of our, out of our own lives. He doesn't see any of that. He sees the righteousness of his son. But if we, if we refuse, if we say, no, I'd prefer to be a part of the community of death. I'd prefer to, to, to just like the sin of, of Adam and Eve. I'd prefer to be like God. I'd prefer to live my life in that way. We prefer to remain in the community of death. When we die and we appear before God, we are just going to be cloaked, not with the righteousness of Christ, but we're cloaked with just our own sin, our own ashes, in the ugliness of our own rebellion. And the Bible says that the result of that is death and hell. Jesus came to save us from that. Now, again, I grew up in different churches. I never gave my heart to Jesus Christ until my 20s when I was sitting on an ash heap. He took me off. He lifted me up about it, uh, out of it, and he set me among princes. If you've never done that this morning, if you've actually, actually, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up now during the communion. The worship team is going to be uh, playing music and singing uh, during uh, that while we have communion, if you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, he gave communion for people, for not just everyone, he gave it specifically to people who had made a decision to join the community of life, to join the body of Christ. If you've never done that, I didn't do that until my early 20s, please come up. And we'll, it's a simple prayer of faith. The Bible says we're, we're saved by a prayer of faith. Not by being good, because no one's good enough to go to heaven, the Bible says, but by a simple prayer of faith. God comes inside of our life by the Holy Spirit, and then we're as good at that moment, the Bible says, as perfect as we will be for all eternity, because we accept and God gives us the perfection of Jesus. But as we're also um, preparing for, co- for communion, the Bible says, let a man, let a woman examine themselves before they go to communion. The Bible says we shouldn't go to the communion table. If we really 
we've been latching on to some kind of bitterness or unforgiveness or a sin in our life that we're not letting go of. Because the Bible says if we go and we just take the cup, uh, which represents the blood of Jesus, we're trampling on the cross. We're, we're, we're despising what the Lord has done for us on the cross. And praise the Lord, there's grace Always, no matter what we have in our past, no matter what we've done the last 24 hours or last week, we can simply accept the forgiveness of God. If there's an area or issue in your life that you'd like to pray through before communion, please come up, pray with us. I'll be up here with, with my wife, Stephanie, and, or, or one of the other prayer teams. Or if there's anything at all that you'd like to pray about, come up when the worship team start, starts. And then at your leisure, you can go to one of these three back tables and Pick up the the cup and take some bread. Return to your seats, and we will have communion together. Okay, the worship team will begin.